0: Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 54. The Brewers in the middle of a tough road trip. 10 game trip, no days off. They're through four games, two and two. Got some injury news on Brandon Woodruff that wasn't ideal, but sounds like it should be a short stint on the IL. A couple of spot starters in the middle of the week. We'll break that down. How about Colin Ray last night in San Diego? Not too shabby. The Bucs will find out their playoff opponent tonight. The Bulls are in Miami. Winner of that game will be at 5 serve for game one of the playoffs on Sunday at 4.30. We'll discuss that. We had more news this week on the stalemate between the Jets and Packers and Aaron Rodgers, some reporting from Yahoo! Sports is Charles Robinson will break that down, and I've got a grilled cheese cooking pro tip for you. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's time. Yes. Yes. The yes. win. Yes. Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20. Gordon 15, 10, five. Touchdown, Wisconsin. Record-breaking run. Morgan, a smash up. The He looks, he throws it's play. Play. it, it a and there is your Super Bowl dagger! Booker the drive, gets inside, leans in, knocked away, it's stolen by Holiday! Phoenix has to foul, and a tentacle ball, throws it down! Swinging fly ball in the right center, Broxton is there, and they're the champions! We've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. So Wednesday was National Grilled Cheese Day, and I had a great tip for the B93 listeners out there, something I learned in the last year. My wife and I, because we're 15 years old, going on 40, We still, every once in a while, have a grilled cheese night. Who doesn't like a grilled cheese? Who does not love the crisp, crunch grilled cheese? You can dip it in tomato soup. You can dip it in a little bit of ranch. You can dip it in ranch and then tomato soup. You can do neither of those things. You can throw bacon on it or a tomato. Everybody loves it. I don't know anybody that turns their nose up at a grilled cheese. Does anybody out there just really dislike grilled cheese? I doubt it. But about a year ago, we were watching some Food Network show or maybe a PBS Saturday cooking show. At this point, we have PBS on in the background pretty much the entire day on Saturday. Could have been Milk Street or something like that. And they were making high-end grilled cheeses. No, not just your basic American cheese on white bread, which is fine, nothing wrong with that. I love that. It's state fair or county fair, getting one of those, just basic two slices of white bread, some butter, some Paula Deen butter. Here, this clip. I'm going to add a half a teaspoon Of ground butter and a half a teaspoon of butter all right now we're gonna add one cup of butter there's some YouTube hero out there I shared that clip maybe a year or two ago some YouTube artist out there made an entire Paula Dean clip where he spliced in or she spliced in the word butter for every ingredient so every time she adds a half cup of this or a third cup of that or a teaspoon of this it always just says butter butter But there's nothing wrong with just the basic white bread, butter slapped on the outside, American cheese on the inside, or Swiss cheese, and you fry it up, and it's a delight. But the show we were watching, they were making higher-end grilled cheese sandwiches, and they did something with the outside of the bread that she or I had never seen before, and that was using mayo instead of butter. My whole life, I had always used butter on the outside parts of the bread, the part of the bread that you fry up, in a pan fryer or a press grill or whatever. I'd always use butter there. And there's nothing wrong with that. Butter tastes great. I've never had a bad grilled cheese in my life. Butter is fine if that's the route you want to go. But we both watched that episode, and she said, huh. And I said, huh. And that was the extent of our conversation for that day. And we thought, we've got to try this. Just give it a shot. And we got all the ingredients, all the stuff we needed, which is another beautiful part about a grilled cheese. There aren't many ingredients. You just get your bread and your cheese and mayo or butter, and that's it. I will say, even with butter or mayo, I've also been doing for years and years and years, when you put butter or mayo on the outside of it, I sprinkle on some Italian seasoning and some garlic powder. Just on that, whatever you use in butter or mayo, just to give it a little extra zip, and then you put the cheese in the middle. I've been sprinkling that on, too. And we tried it, and we've never gone back. It is so good. I do not have the vocab in my arsenal to describe to you how crispy it is when you make a grilled cheese and you slather mayo on the outside instead of butter. And butter still gets it crispy, but this is a whole nother level of crispiness that I don't think I'd ever experience. The second you bite into it and you get that crunch and the flavor that the mayo adds to it, In literally .5 seconds, you're saying, oh, this is better. This is better. It's just better. It's taking something that was already good and taking it to another level. And then we talked about it on the B93 morning show, and we had people text in saying they were going to give it a shot. They texted in then on Thursday and said they're not going back. I am very confident that if you try this, if you've never tried that, that you will never go back. My life is now split into two segments. My life can now be reviewed, (laughs) the portion of my life where I was using butter on grilled cheese and the portion of my life where I've been using mayo on grilled cheese. That is the definitive part of the timeline in my life. But if you've never tried that, do it. And some people listening to this and listening to the B93 Morning Show, I'm sure, have been doing that for a long time and saying, I've been doing that forever, John, and that's great. But if you are someone like me who grew up on grilled cheese and you just put butter on the outside and you've never tried mayo, you will not regret it. Also, another grilled cheese pro tip. My wife and I have been doing this for a little bit, too. If you really want to mix things up a bit, go and get a really high-quality loaf of brioche bread little sweetness to it, and then you get the salt of some bacon and cheese in the middle, and then you throw the mayo on there. It's good and good for you. A lot of flavor points on that one. If you consider calories flavor points, there's a lot of flavor points on those bad boys. But a good solid loaf of brioche bread is really good on a grilled cheese every once in a while, too. But that's your cooking pro tip for today. It is so good. I just, I can't even describe how good it is and how crispy it is if you've never done that with a grilled cheese on National Grilled Cheese Day on Wednesday. Had to get that one out there. Had to preach the gospel. My two legacies on B93's morning show will be preaching the gospel of the Arby's Mint Shake being far superior to the Shamrock Shake, and those might be fighting words to some of you out there, but they are also true words. I've been preaching that gospel and the gospel of over Butter. I did have one of my best buddies, and we go back to first-grade baseball, Shu, shout-out Shu. He's a chef in the Sheboygan area and a really good one. And I posted a blog about this mayo thing on Grilled Cheese, on National Grilled Cheese Day, and he said you should do mayo on the outside and then butter on the inside. Why not do both? Why choose one when you can have both? And that stopped me in my tracks when I read that the next morning. I saw he commented on the blog, and I hadn't read it, and I had a real moment of, Holy cow, well, now i got to try that. I will report back on that. But mayo on the outside of the bread for grilled cheese. A little cooking pro tip for you. A little Johnny Gourmet, a little Johnny Homemaker for you. Okay, Brewers on a really tough road trip, a difficult early season road trip. They are on a three-city, ten-game trip with no days off. Started in Arizona. They lost the opener of that one. Zach Gallon for the Diamondbacks, he's really good. I know his numbers weren't good going into the game. It was very similar to Corbin Burns. Both of those guys were on the short list of Cy Young candidates last year, and both of them had a pretty rough first two starts. So the numbers were not good, and if you don't follow baseball that closely, I sort of understand that you don't know who Zach Gallon is. But when you looked at the numbers heading into the matchup on whatever day that was, Monday or Tuesday, you thought, oh, this guy's got a 9 ERA and he's 0-2, and then he's out there dazzling Brewer batters the entire game and was getting help from the home plate umpire in that game too. Very generous strike zone in that one. And then you think, why can't they hit this guy? Well, Zach Gallon is really, really, really good. I believe he finished inside the top five in the Cy Young voting at the end of the year last year. Lost that game, came back, and then Corbin did what Gallen did on the opener of the series. He had two bad starts, and then he finally looked like Cy Burns. He looked like Corbin Burns in game two of that series. Eight innings of shutout ball, eight strikeouts. The cutter and the slider were dancing all over the zone. He could not be touched that night. Brewers get the win in game two. And then didn't get the series win. Brandon Woodruff, it was announced during that series, is going on the IL. He does not seem concerned. Shoulder inflammation. It's hard for me to not be concerned when I hear any shoulder or elbow issues for a pitcher. But they had him talk to the media when he went on the IL. And I don't think they'd have him talking to the media about it if it was a more serious thing. He essentially just said in that Southern drawl he has. He's got a very Brett Favre drawl, by the way. If you close your eyes and listen to Brandon Woodruff talk, you could swear you're listening to Brett Favre circa 1996. But he was saying it's something he deals with at the beginning of season sometimes, and he's getting a little bit older. It's getting harder to get loose at the beginning of a year. He said he probably could have pitched if it were a bigger game, but he wouldn't have quite been himself. He seemed to think he would be on the lower end of the 10-day IL stint. Maybe he misses a start or two. But take care of it now. And that's another part of the interview that he had. He said, we're so early in the year, you may as well clean things up now. Get this thing under control. Otherwise, it could nag you the entire year, which I totally agree with. And that led to the Brewer debut of Jansen Junk. The headlines write themselves. I laughed out loud. I guffawed when I saw the headline on MLB trade rumors in the offseason that the Brewers had traded Hunter Renfro for junk. Brewers trade for junk. Am I right or am I right? And he was one of the pieces coming back in that Renfro deal. He made his Brewer debut. He had made a few starts with the Angels. Not good at the major league level the past few seasons. And he was not that great on Wednesday either. He kind of kept him in it. Went four and two-thirds. Gave up five runs. Four earned. Doesn't have a ton of velocity. He certainly is a guy who relies on location. But... Overall, not the most inspiring start. As I said on the air, B93, I'm not going to write off the guy's entire Brewer career based on one start, but I wouldn't say I was encouraged. And we discussed on the podcast, whatever day that was last Friday or this Monday or whenever, maybe it was on the morning show. I have no idea anymore where I'm talking off into space. I could have I been on a walk with my dog talking out loud to nobody in particular. But one of the issues you worry about this year, like we saw last year, is the starting rotation depth. We know the Brewers have a really good starting rotation, arguably the best in baseball. And we said at the beginning of the year, if they can stay healthy like they did in 2021, this is a team that should win 90-ish games and make the playoffs. If they have the health issues they had last year, then they're going to be really battling. And they could be in the low to mid-80s in terms of win total and fighting for that last playoff spot. We're hoping for the health that they had in 2021. Because last year, we just saw way too many starts from guys like Chi-Chi Gonzalez and Jason Alexander. But when Jansen Junk went out there and looked a lot like Jason Alexander or Chi-Chi Gonzalez, that was not all that inspiring. And a part of the lack of depth right now is they were not banking on injuries to Adrian Hauser and Aaron Ashby. Ashby's season looks like he's done. He might not be back until next year. They're going to get Hauser back at the end of the month. That will help too. But we had an inspiring start last night from another guy making a spot start, Colin Ray. They sent Junk down. Get this Junk out of here. I could do these all day. And they call up Colin Ray from AAA Nashville. He's a career minor leaguer, very similar to the storyline behind Jason Alexander, 32 years old. So if you looked at the box score last night and you didn't watch the game, you thought, oh, Colin Ray called up from AAA, five and two thirds, one run. Is this an up and coming prospect? Not really. Not saying he can't be successful. Not saying he might not make a few more really good starts with the Brewers. But he's not a guy like, who's the lefty they got for hater that's been tearing it up in AAA? Robert Gosser that's probably their top starting pitching prospect. And had the days lined up a bit better, he might have been the guy they called up to make that start last night in San Diego. But they call up Colin Ray. He's had a cup of coffee in San Diego. He had a cup of coffee in Milwaukee in 2021. The numbers haven't been great the few times he's been up at the major league level. But he was really good last night. He was zipping it in there. A difference between him and Jason Alexander last year Colin Ray was throwing 94-95 with some movement. He was spotting things where he wanted to, and he went five and two-thirds of one-run ball. That's a pretty big effort in San Diego, taking on a Padres team that's expected to be in the mix for an NL West title, which is no laughing matter and no joke when you've got the Dodgers sitting there with a $300 million payroll. They should be in the mix there. They should be in the mix for an NL pennant if they're healthy. It could be a team the Brewers see in the playoffs. But to get a win there with a spot starter feels pretty good. Brewers had a 3-1 to lead. Matt Bush blew it in the eighth inning, gave up a two-run bomb to old friend Trent Grisham with two outs, no less. Bush has that issue. He had that going back to last year, too, where he gets those first two guys, two up, two down, very quickly. Then he'll walk a guy on four pitches or give up a bloop single. And then he gives up a home run. Finishing innings has been a problem spot for him in his career and in Milwaukee. Happened again last night. Game gets tied. Goes to extras. Rowdy Telez hits the sack fly in the top of the 10th to give the Brewers the lead. And then it was Joel Pamps. I think I'm saying that right. Piamps. He's the righty they got in addition to William Contreras in that deal with the A's and the Braves in the offseason. And he locked it down. He had a pretty vicious changeup going last night. He does not allow the ghost runner to score, and the Brewers get a very quality 4-3 win against a good team at their place with a spot starter going. you got to feel good all the way around about that. Mike Brasso hit another home run. He's been hot lately. Brewers improved to 9-4 and with the win. We said at the start of the road trip, you never want a low ball. Obviously, you want to win every game. But with the difficulty of this trip, 10 games, 3 cities, no days off, against pretty good teams – if they went 5 and 5 that's pretty good 6 and 4 would be an outstanding road trip they're through 4 games they're 2 and 2 They lost the series to the Diamondbacks. They win the first one against San Diego. Back at it tonight, if you're listening to this on Friday, Eric Lauer is on the hill. He's been so good against the NL West and so good against his former team. We'll see how he fares tonight. Then tomorrow, Freddy Peralta has been tremendous to begin the year. He'll make the start on Saturday afternoon. That's great to see. We can actually watch the whole game. Hey, last night's game, extra innings, still was under three hours. Two hours and 50 minutes with an extra inning in there. And they'll play 3 o'clock on Saturday and Sunday. It'll be Corbin Burns, I believe, going on Sunday. We'll see when Woody comes off the DL. Again, Hauser should be back toward the end of the month. That will give them more starting pitching depth, even though they were expecting him to come out of the bullpen, but with some of the injuries now, had Hauser been available, he is the most likely guy that would have been filling in, and we feel pretty comfortable with that, I think, don't we? He's been a bit up and down in his career, but he's a guy that we know. He's a known commodity. He's still fairly young in his late 20s, mid to late 20s. He should be back in the next couple of weeks as well, but the Brewers sit in a pretty good spot right now through 13 games. We're Very early road trip continues in San Diego. And then they hit Seattle right away, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, before finally having a day off on Thursday. Shout out, by the way, to Craig council who still doesn't have a contract extension. That's still weird to me. And the diamondbacks paid tribute to him, a former diamondback player and world series champion in Arizona. He became the brewer manager who has managed the most games in team history. It doesn't feel like he's been around that long. 2015 though, this is his ninth year. It feels like he's still a pretty young manager, maybe because he doesn't age. He doesn't look like he's any older than he was when he was when he was playing for the Brewers or the Diamondbacks. But they had a super nice Jumbotron video message to Craig Council, who's still beloved down there, about him becoming the manager with the most games under his belt. He passed old scrap iron Phil Garner for that designation in Arizona on either Tuesday or Wednesday. I think it was Wednesday. But the road trip continues tonight, 840 first pitch Friday night in San Diego. In the NBA, we find out finally tonight who the Bucks' opponent is going to be for round one, game one. We know it's now 430. Perfect start time. Oh, I love that start time. 430 on Sunday, just beautiful. Get the grill going maybe or go do a little bit of day drinking. You watch the game, you live and die with that, and the game's going to be over by 637 o'clock. You can fall asleep if you want. Perfect start time. But game one will be on Sunday. The play-in tournament sees the Bulls go to Miami tonight. A lot of home teams with letdown games in the play-in tournament. Miami lost their play-in tournament game to Atlanta. We talked about it on Monday as a Bucs fan. Just my personal feeling, maybe not all, I don't want to speak for all Bucs fans, but my personal feeling was we wanted Miami to win that game. My thinking was Miami could give Boston a bit of a run. Boston would win that series, but maybe Miami could take a game or two and make them battle for it a little bit. Miami looked awful (laughs) in that game against Atlanta. They couldn't grab an important rebound to save their life. It looked like they thought they were going to have an easy win going to Boston, and then Atlanta came out knocking down shots. Trey Young was red hot, and the Hawks took it. Miami made a little bit of a run, but the Hawks came back, went up by double digits, never looked back. That means Atlanta goes to Boston. I don't love that. If Atlanta plays the way they did against Miami, maybe they take a game, but that feels like it's going to be a Boston sweep. So Miami then gets another home game tonight. The Bulls upset the Raptors in Toronto. Who else went on the road? Thunder beat New Orleans on the road. A lot of home teams lost. But the Bulls are in Miami tonight. I would not expect Miami to lose back-to-back games at home with their season on the line, but they didn't look too inspired on whatever day that was, Tuesday. And the Bulls got the win in Toronto. They were down double digits. They stormed back late. One of the storylines in that game was DeMar DeRozan's daughter. Did you see or hear that? I tuned in in the second half, and every time a Raptors player was at the free throw line, you heard a blood-curdling scream from the stands of somebody trying to disrupt their free throw rhythm. Eventually, ESPN caught wind that this is DeMar DeRozan's daughter, D.I.A.R. DR DeRozan. She's nine years old, and they got a camera on her, and she was timing it out perfectly where she would let loose this blood-curdling, screeching scream, and Toronto went 18 of 36 at the free-throw line. They missed 18 free-throws in a game they lost by, what, five or six points at home? They missed 18 free-throws, and the broadcast could not stop talking about Dr. DeRozan. In fact, she was a part of the post-game interview with her dad, DeMar Which led to me talking about that on the air on Wednesday morning or Thursday morning. And I said, look, if the Bulls win this game in Miami and they end up going to Milwaukee and DR is going to start doing this at Serve Forum with Giannis on the line, you got to kick her out. It may not be a popular opinion that you've got to kick a nine-year-old out of a basketball game. That may not make me sound like the best person in the world. I realize that as the words are coming out of my mouth. That doesn't mean they're not true. If this little girl is at your arena, in Toronto, that was Canadian nice. They were too nice. That was Canada nice. If they let this girl in at Fiserv for him, and she apparently is not going to be in Miami tonight for the game against the Heat. That was already reported on on ESPN. She won't be there tonight to mess with the Heat players. But if the Bulls win that game, and she goes to Fiserv, and she starts that screaming early in the game, it's cute one or two times, but it can't go on the whole game. She's got to be checked. Has to be. Has to be kicked out of the game has to be removed, or she has to be put in one of those soundproof booths. Remember those at church, if you went to church when you were a kid? Do they still have those, the crying rooms? Or if you had a breakdown when you were a kid or an adult, you could go into that room and it was quiet and it wouldn't disturb the mass. Maybe they can throw her in a room like that. And again, I know it doesn't make me sound great talking about a 9-year-old girl like that, but you cannot have her screaming. Giannis has enough problems at the free-throw line as it is. We cannot have this little girl, Dr. DeRozan, screaming at him when he's trying to get in his free-throw rhythm. You already had to deal with the countdowns in 2021. We can't have it. You just can't have it. It's not going to look good, but you can't have it. Some usher, some person on team security is going to have to step up there if that ends up being the matchup. But we find out tonight who will be on their way to Milwaukee for game one. I'm not really worried about either team. I'm not saying whatever team the Bucks play, the Bulls or the Heat. Hey, we saw the Bulls win a game against Milwaukee last year. Either of those teams can win a game, maybe two, if the Bucks really collapse or have a bad shooting night or there's an injury or something. But I'm not overly concerned about the Bucks losing a series to either of these teams. Some good news on the injury front. Chris Middleton practiced on Thursday. Pat Connaughton practiced on Thursday. Grayson Allen practiced on Thursday. Connaughton should be good to go. Allen's sprained knee sounds like it was worse than, Con- worse than Connaughton's, but it does sound like he'll be ready. Will he be in the starting five? I don't know, but he should be able to play some minutes on Sunday. And the injury news on Middleton was pretty good. I think at this point Bucks fans, or at least I have, again, don't talk for everybody, John. Talk for yourself. Just talk for yourself. I've accepted that Chris Middleton is not going to be 100%. I don't believe at any point during the playoffs he's not been in 100% all year. They're just trying to get him as close to healthy as he can. Does that mean 60%? Does that mean 70%? Can the Bucs win a title with a 70% Middleton? I think they can. 60%, 50%, I don't know. But he's not going to be 100%. And that has led to some debate on Buck's Twitter about, do you even put him out here for this first-round matchup? Because they've proven they can beat either of these teams probably without Middleton. It maybe goes a game extra. It maybe goes to six instead of five. Buck's and six. Live up to that moniker. It maybe is a little more difficult. But you can probably beat either of these teams without Middleton. The question then becomes, do you rest Middleton for the extra whatever it would be, week or week and a half before the second round starts, does that get him closer to 100% or are we just where we're at with Middleton and he's going to be at 70% and it's all about maintenance, but he's not going to get really any better until the offseason, until a full season of rest or a cleanup surgery. feels like that's probably coming. I definitely feel like we're headed to a July side note where, oh, Chris Middleton had a cleanup procedure on his knee done this week or Giannis had a cleanup procedure on his wrist done this month. feel like we're definitely headed to some of that in the offseason. But if you rest him and you still feel like you can beat whatever team you end up playing in round one, does that get him closer to 100% for round two and hopefully round three and hopefully the NBA finals? I don't know. But he did practice, and it doesn't sound like they're overly concerned about it. Again, my feeling is that he's about 70-ish percent, and that's where he's going to be at. The Bucs can do that with Middleton at 70%. Better than having 0% Middleton like they had last year for most of the first round and, of course, all of the second round, that seven-game series with Boston. But he did practice on Thursday. That was good news. Getting set for game one on the way Sunday evening, 4.30 tip time. And if you're not new to the NBA playoffs but you've forgotten, there's a lot of rest in these series. They have game one on Sunday. They don't play again until Wednesday at 8 p.m. Are you kidding me? Why are we 8 p.m. local time? 8 p.m. on Wednesday on NBA TV. This is the Rodney Dangerfield. I don't get no respect. (laughs) An 8 p.m. NBA TV game? Are you kidding me? For a team that won a title two years ago and has the best record in the league? That's terrible. Terrible. But they don't play again until Wednesday. Then they don't play again until Saturday. Then they play Monday. The whole series timing is out. But it was a big moment reading the schedule where I thought, oh, yeah, this is the playoffs. (laughs) There's going to be a few days off in between every game, which is fine. But it stretches the whole thing out. Game one, Sunday, game two on Wednesday at Fiserv Forum. We will wrap up on the Packers. I'm sure you saw Wilde and Tausch had Yahoo Sports's Charles Robinson on this weekend. It was funny on the Pat McAfee show. They also talked about this, and they <laughs> Pat McAfee called Wilde and Tausch Wad and Tosh. <laughs> that was a pretty funny moment. But Charles Robinson, if the reporting is to be believed, and I don't see why you wouldn't believe it. He's been pretty good over his career. The reporting he had was that, as we all thought, before the Rodgers interview on McAfee, a trade was in place. The framework was in place for a deal. Rodgers goes on McAfee. He officially announces he wants to play. He officially announces he wants to play for the Jets. The question for both fan bases since then has been, what the heck is going on? What the heck in heck are we doing when we know where this ends, how are we still doing this? How was a deal not in place before we figured out what Aaron Rodgers' intentions were? Well, the answer to that, according to Charles Robinson, is that a deal was in place. But then Aaron Rodgers, as a part of that McAfee interview, said that he was 90% retired going into his darkness retreat. Which, by the way, is a total lie. That is, Can we agree that's a total lie Aaron Rodgers is just the type of guy, at this point, he loves the attention. He loves to hear himself talk, but so do I, so I'm not going to cast stones there. (laughs) So The guy hosting a 30-minute biweekly podcast. That guy loves to hear himself talk. You always hear that in radio. People will say that a lot. I've gotten that a lot in 15 years on B93. You radio DJs just like to hear yourself talk. Yeah, we do. (laughs) That's why we're doing what we do. But he loves to hear himself talk. He loves to tell stories. And you know he added that note for dramatic emphasis. Oh, I was 90% retired before going into the darkness retreat. And then I came out of the darkness retreat. And after I emerged from the darkness and got one bit of cell service, I found out the Packers wanted to trade me. And all of a sudden, the 90-10 retirement went 90-10. I want to play. And I want to play for the New York Jets. He added that all. None of that is true. He was always coming back. He added that for dramatic emphasis. But apparently, it freaked out Jets owner Woody Johnson that he was that close to retirement, and then apparently Johnson started to think, well, is he only going to play one year? It sounds like the Jets thought they were going to get him before this whole thing went down. They thought they were getting Rodgers for two years minimum, and maybe even a little more after that. But then with that one comment, it freaked Woody Johnson out. They backed off a bit on what they were offering, and that's how we end up where we're at right now with the Jets and Goody and Woody Johnson and Joe Douglas all just staring at each other, and neither one seems to want to blink. That's where we're at. I don't know if it gets resolved before the draft anymore. I was certain it was going to get resolved before the draft. It feels like it's not. We're two weeks away from the draft, and apparently another little bit of tidbit that came out during the week was that Aaron Rodgers has been in contact with the Jets, and he is telling them you don't have to do anything before the draft because I'm not showing up before May 1st anyway. They have OTAs that start on Monday. But he has said, according to that report, he has told the Jets that he's not going to show up really until May at the end of the day. So it doesn't ultimately matter if they get the deal done before the draft or not. If we get past the draft, then we're certainly looking at a post-June 1st trade. Because what's the point then for the Packers? If you missed out on the draft capital this year and you don't get the 13th overall pick and they're not getting the offer they want and that ship has sailed then there is literally nothing to gain for the Packers trading him between the end of the draft and June 1st. At that point, you may as well wait and get the cap savings for trading him after June 1st. And as we discussed, once you get past June 1st, if the Jets are still freaked out about this whole thing and you're still in this standoff and no one's willing to budge and training camp starts in six weeks, I know we threw out a topic either on the air or on the podcast of if it got that far, if it got to July... If it got to training camp, or we're knocking on the door of training camp, or organized team activities or whatever in June. If we got to that point, would Aaron Rodgers show up? My initial feeling was he will not show up. But then I read, if it does get to that point, in order to make the money on his contract, the near $60 million that the Packers are on the books for this year, right now, for Aaron Rodgers or whatever team picks him up. He has to be at training camp to get that money, and he is going to get that money. <laughs> Believe me, he's not going to sit out and not get paid. But if you get past June 1st and there's still no movement, and then we're knocking on the door of training camp, and he has to show up, there's no way, right? There's no way we get there. But the as the days tick by, and it doesn't feel like we're any closer than we were four weeks ago... It's starting to feel like we might get down that road of post-June 1st before anything happens. I just If you had to put me three weeks ago, if you'd have asked me, is this deal done by draft day? I say 90% yes, 10% no. 95% yes, 5% no. But on April 14th, as we're recording this with what we know now that's been reported this week, I feel 50-50 at best, at best 50-50 they get this deal done just amazing the way this whole thing is dragged on. Are we going to end up with Rodgers and Love in camp together? Are we on that path? Oh boy. But that report that 90% comment he had which was just a little comment that you know he added to make the story seem a little more dramatic that is apparently the reason why we're at the spot we're at between the two teams. Just crazy. Quick shout out by the way to Greg Gard on Twitter last night. It was a Luke Fickle signal. They sent the Luke Fickle signal out on the Wisconsin basketball Twitter page. We said at the end of the Badgers season, and most people did, not that we were out there with a take, nobody had. The Badgers had work to do in the transfer portal. Well, you got to give credit where credit is due. Greg Gard has done some work. They are bringing in Noah Reynolds from Wyoming, a sophomore. He did end his year with concussion issues. His season ended prematurely because of two concussions that he suffered during the course of the year. You hope that's not a problem. That's not something you typically hear about in basketball. Football, obviously hockey, but not basketball. But this is a guy who averaged almost 15 points a game. I know, just like the transfer, who was the guy? Klesmet. When he transferred from Wofford to Wisconsin, he was averaging 14, 15 points a game at Wofford. He averaged, what, eight or nine points a game or seven points a game in his first year at Wisconsin? That's not going to mean he's going to average 15 points a game in the Big Ten, but he's a wing scorer, and he shoots well, especially around the basket. That's an addition. The bigger addition was last night, A.J. Storr is coming to Wisconsin. He is a former top 100 prospect, a former four-star recruit. He just got done with his first year at St. John's, averaged about nine points per game, shot over 40% from beyond the arc. He was their Connor Asijan. He was what Connor Asijan was to the Badgers last year. That's what A.J. Storr was to St. John's. Now you add AJ Store and Noah Reynolds in there with a as a sophomore and Chucky Hepper and I know there's a love hate with Chucky Hepper and hopefully he learned more things his sophomore year. You've got Crowell coming back, we know Tyler Wall is coming back. All of a sudden, you're looking at a team that should be competing for a big Ten championship next year. All of a sudden this is a team that should be fringe top 25 and should be in the mix for a top three or four spot at least in the big Ten with all the guys they've got coming back. All of the experience the young players got last year, and now you add a guy like A.J. Storr and a guy like Noah Reynolds to the mix, you got to tip your cap to guard. He's been under a lot of heat for the way that the team performed and underachieved last year. They got to work, and they got those transfer portal things done quickly. Jordan Davis is exiting. That's not really a big loss. I think we all respect the time you put into the program, but not a huge loss, and you bring in two wing scorers who have a history of being able to hit shots. Tip your cap. Tip your cap to Greg Guard. Okay, we'll come back after it Monday. We'll be recapping Game 1, Bucks and the Bulls slash Heat. Hopefully, we'll be talking about a Game 1 victory and getting things started off on the right foot. We'll break down the Padres weekend for the Brewers as they wrap up the second leg of this three-city 10-game trip. And we will maybe have more info on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers and the Jets. I don't feel like it's likely, though. We're not going to hear a whole lot more about this. I would not expect until two weeks from today, which would be – or I guess less than two weeks. It would be night two of the draft in two weeks. I would expect not this Wednesday but next week Wednesday leading into the draft. That will be the next time we hear something big. But maybe we'll talk about anything that comes out over the weekend. Have a happy, safe weekend. We'll chat with you Monday.